It's good to see all of you here today, this Sunday, our last Sunday at Alexander. We have been in a series since January called Daniel Plan. And the Daniel Plan is based on Daniel chapter 1, where Daniel and three friends decided, they made an intention decision to consume only vegetables and water and to go completely countercultural in the Babylonian society that they were in. And that is something that we are applying to ourselves today to the best of our abilities. Has anybody actually been able to do that um, to that to that degree, the vegetables and water only? Were you, were you able to do that, Francis? You get the door prize. That's remarkable. Vegetables and water only. Wow. Yeah. So... Um, uh, all of us are in this process of making a change, and I'm not prescribing strictly just vegetables and water only, but I am talking about some kind of change that's not just spiritual. We can talk about spiritual stuff till we're, till we're blue in the face, but also the physical component. The physical component is very important, and I've made a case that uh, our spirits can only grow so far if our physical bodies are not taken care of. In other words, if you want to grow spiritually, there is a component that we must pay attention to. It is the physical care of our bodies, physical part, physical health, physical health, emotional health, spiritual health. They all go hand in hand. And so there's an important component to taking care of ourselves and change. Change is not easy. And I've spoken about how uh, the process, we go through this process of mental change how it's so difficult, if not impossible, to just psych myself up, and how we need motivators in our lives. One of the greatest motivators in our motivator in your life is your friends. And today I'd like to talk about friends and friendship. Friends and friendship as a means, as a, as a, um, as a catalyst for change. Friendship as that which sustains change, it's, it's, uh, this is what, March. We're well into March, and our New Year's resolutions have gotten us about three months through. But if we want to keep this change going, you know, the healthy eating pattern that I've begun this year, in order to keep it going, I'm going to need friends to hold me to that. And that's what I'm going to talk about today, continuing into next Sunday as well. Friendship. And in particular, if you look in your bulletin, you'll see these three applications, three applications that I'm going to teach today, three things that I can do to bring about change in my life that involves friends, three things that I can do to make a change in my life, but it involves friends, and three applications, very practical, that I'm going to offer today. And as I get into this first application I'd like to turn your attention to Matthew chapter 8, verse 21. Matthew 8, 21. Now, um, Anthony, we have the NLT version. Is that correct? NLT version. And this is different. As I've said in the past, our church, we're not bound to one single version. We're students of Scripture, and therefore we're able to look at different translations. The NLT, was new. it's new to me. Um, it is a legitimate, it's a, it's a reputable translation. One of my professors uh, and seminary is on the translation committee, and there's numerous other names that are recognizable there. Uh, it's a good translation. It's a good translation, and recently I received a gift from Garth Bolander, who's the uh, superintendent of our conference, 
And the gift was a, a beautiful brown leather-bound NLT. And I started using this leather-bound brown NLT for my personal devotions, and I came upon this passage in Matthew, 28, Matthew chapter 8, verse 21, and it gave me a completely different spin than I've ever read before. And this passage, it goes like this. I'm going to just kind of rough, roughly translate it myself. It says, uh, you have a disciple come up to Jesus. Let's just say for, for the, the storytelling's sake, his name is Bill. Bill. And Bill says to Jesus, Lord, I want to follow you. And Jesus says to Bill, great, let's do this. And this is interesting because there are multiple times where people would say, I will follow you, Jesus. And Jesus says, uh, no, you don't got the stuff. You're not cut out to be a disciple. But this one, Jesus says, you've got it. You've got the stuff. And he says, Lord, I want to follow you. Okay, follow. But Lord, Bill says, first let me go home and bury my father. My father died. Let me bury him. And then Jesus says this famous statement that has never sat comfortably with me. And that statement is, let the dead bury their own dead. You come and follow me now. And I've long interpreted that or understood that as a radical call to discipleship. That much we must place discipleship and following Jesus in the forefront of our lives. I have a friend, he's older than myself, he tells a story about how he was once uh, separated from his wife, and for five years, and they came back together, but they were estranged and separated for five years, and he was talking to a pastor, and he said, you know, I, 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 I'm just suffering, I want to get back together with my family. And the pastor said, well, do you love God more than you love your wife? And his answer was, No. I love my wife more than I love God. And the pastor's response, and he wasn't being dogmatic, but his response was, until you learn to love God more than you love your wife, you're not going to get your wife back. And I think the principle there is not that we're supposed to dogmatically just God first, but unless we understand, unless we're living in tune with a power greater than ourselves, somebody that can actually put us in our place, Unless there is indeed a God who has lordship of our lives, Jesus Christ, we will not treat our spouses correctly. We will not be the people, the ethical, the right people, the right living people. And so in that regard, I think that statement is accurate until we are fully surrendered first and foremost to God. Everything else will not fall into place. But this is interesting. I'm reading the NLT version, and when, it, when I'm reading the NLT version in verse 22, what it says, instead of let the dead bury their own dead, you follow me, what it says in verse 22 in the NLT is let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Let the spiritually dead bury themselves. That was very interesting, and I looked it up, I did some background study, it is not, it's not incorrect to translate it. That way, the, the, the word necros is physical death, but it can also be a metaphor for spiritual death. And the translators, and the good translators, saw this as a possible, possible uh, spiritual, spiritually dead. What is spiritually? It's an adverb or a qualifier. They saw it useful to add that qualifier. Now, 
Think about this and read it again to yourself. Let me bury my, let me bury my father first. No, follow me. Let the spiritually dead bury themselves. What I think this introduces is a contextual dimension, a contextual dimension to the story where Jesus is saying, Bill, I know you want to follow, but here's the thing. If you go back there where it is spiritually dead, now mind you, Jesus was, he, he, he used a lot of sometimes strong language, especially for the Pharisees. If you go back to that place, that town, that area, that physical location, you will get sucked in and you will not come out. You will fall back into that community, back into the old ways, and you will not be able to come out. And in the end, you will not be able to follow me anyway. In other words, there is a contextual dimension to this passage, I think, that talks about the old hood the old places, the old neighborhoods. For example, if you think about somebody that's recovering from drugs, now talk about the ultimate change. And this person is trying to recover from drugs, and this person goes through rehab, uh, goes through all of the withdrawal and all of the, all of the counseling and all of the detox and recovery, but in the end, goes back to the old stoop, goes back to the old hood. Will this person stay sober? I can guarantee you not. I can guarantee you that recidivism, that relapse, is highly, highly likely. Why? Because environment, environment can lead to, conversely, on the one hand, spiritual death, or life and discipleship. Environment. And I think that's a profound thought. Because here we're talking about motivation, we're talking about change, we're saying, okay, we're going to make an internal change, we're going to need to, we're going to need to, the Holy Spirit's going to have to fill us and we're going to need causal motivation. But you know, sometimes change is as simple as changing our environments, our workplaces, changing the atmosphere, our home situation, our life situation. Sometimes there are ruts and patterns that are quite locational and physical that are just constantly leading to nothing more than spiritual death. It is, it is uh, what's the word? It's, it's completely undercutting any discipleship. It's undercutting your discipleship. That's when a change of place is needed. Let me give you one more analogy. I've been dying to tell this story. Um, I, I may have told it before, but it's such an interesting anecdote that illustrates why place matters. You can see there's multiple layers to this, to this talk about place. Psychologists performed a study. This is, um, if you want to look this up, the, the, the lead, the, the head person in this study, his name is Bruce Alexander. And if you just Google Bruce Alexander and Rat Park... So psychologists performed this study, and what they did was they had rats, and they placed individual rats in cages. So an isolated cage, nothing, nothing about it, just basically like a, you know, three by five, you know, just a tiny little thing, and nothing to do. The rat is isolated, and there's two options. One option is a water bottle filled with 
clean water. The second water bottle is water laced with cocaine. And they found uh, that repeatedly the subject, singular because the rat was isolated, would always choose the cocaine water bottle over the regular water and subsequently would die. That rat would drink itself to death. That rat would drink itself to death. Okay, so there's three phases to the study. So the second phase, psychologists, what they did was in the second phase, they decided to change the cage. And the way they changed the cage was they built this huge rat park, they called it. Rat Park, an enclosure that was big, that was lively, that had a lot of entertaining things for rats to do, mazes and a lot of, um, uh, you know, spaces. You know, in our workplaces, we talk about inter- interruption spaces and, and, and bumping into your coworker. It's like my nightmare. Just give me a quiet room where I can study. But anyway, this social environment is what they created, a stimulating social environment for rats. But they had the same two options. Clean water, cocaine water. And what they found was that the rats in this stimulating environment called Rat Park would try both waters. They would try the cocaine water, but in the end, they would ultimately reject it. They would choose the regular water. None of the subjects died. None of the subjects died. The third phase, the, really the, the real test the real test in the third phase is what's like what, they, the, what they did was they took rats who had been given cocaine water uh, for 57 days. For 57 days, so, you know, in rat years, that's like, I don't know what, like 10 years or something. 10 years of your life, you have been consuming this substance. You're going to be addicted. You're going to be addicted. And what they did was they took those addicted rats who were in... Uh, who were in isolated environments, who had just been drinking the cocaine. They took those addicted rats and then they placed them into Rat Park with the other healthy rats, along with the same two choices. And what they found was so fascinating. The addicted rats would go back to the cocaine water and try it a couple of times, but eventually they lost interest Eventually, they found that there was so much more to live for, so much good, so much health. There were things that were stimulating. Life was good. And therefore, not only did they stop drinking the cocaine water, they found that these rats eventually turned it down completely and lived the entirety of their lives, not a single one dying from overdose. Friends, the first application, the first application when it comes to change, I think, it's vital for people who are wanting to make a change. Now, we're not at that extent where we're, you know, we're talking about overdose or drug addicts, but we are making a change. The first application is quite simply, change my cage. Change my cage. What is my environment that is constantly leading me to go this way? What is it in my environment that is causing me to constantly go this path, make that choice, constantly push that button, pull that trigger? Why am I constantly going in that way? Change my cage. Environment has a lot to do with it. And that's something that we cannot do alone. It involves other people, place, environment. That's the first application. 
I guess what I'm saying, and guess the reflection here is, it, is that the good cage is what saves us. The good cage saves us. The good cage saves us. And Jesus, knowing that this young man, this young disciple, Bill, if he goes back to his bad cage, he's going to get stuck and never come out. Change my cage. So we continue on. We continue on with the second, the second application, the second thing for me to do in order to make a change that involves other people, that involves my friends. The second one is stay in the center of the herd. Stay in the center of the herd. In Hebrews chapter 10, the author is telling the Christians, the Hebrew Christians, stay together. Don't give up. Don't forsake your assembling with each other. Don't give up meeting with each other. He even says, as is the habit of some. In order to keep our spiritual lives healthy, friends, and I've always, I've always made the case for this, it is not an individualistic effort. It is a communal, a community exercise. Health does not come by me sitting in a corner, rocking in the corner with a book about, about emotional and spiritual health, just by myself. Health must be implemented in the, in, the, in, the, in the cauldron of life and family, community. And this is achieved only by staying in the center of the herd regularly, in the center of the herd you guys, have you ever seen National Geographic or one of these nature shows if you've seen emperor penguins? Emperor penguins and the way uh, they huddle together. How do you stay warm in Arctic or sub-Arctic temperatures? And it's amazing. They have this time lapse. And they show in, in the middle of an Arctic storm and a group of like a thousand emperor penguins. And what they do is they all huddle together. I think they even face inward, and they make this big mass of penguins, but they're constantly moving. They're like, and they're just moving, and little by little, they're just moving, and then gradually, they're getting, you you see those on the outside make their way towards the center, and those on the inside gradually make themselves to the outer ring, but then they kind of, this just cycle just goes on and on and on. I think that this is a healthy pattern of church life. I think this is a healthy pattern of church life. There are those that will be in the center. But if you stay in the center forever, you're hogging up all the warmth. You're hogging up all the, you got to give other people a chance. You need to also give yourself a reprieve. But then you don't stay on the outside. You know why? Because polar bears like to camp out and pick the, pick the, pengin, the penguins off of the edges. You don't stay on the outside forever. It's not the safest place. I've seen cases I've known where people who would be so involved in church service and then they would get so burned out that they would step out and then step out indefinitely. They would completely leave the herd. Staying in the center of the herd is a picture of health. And that rhythm, you move in, you move out. You move in, you move out. This is a rhythm of, I think, healthy church activity. You don't stay in the center forever, but we're constantly moving and revolving and trying to be at the heart of things in a religious community 
This is, I think, important for health. You know, there's a verse, Psalm chapter 73. Psalm 73, what you have is this famous passage about a man who is in the process of losing his faith. And for 16 verses, Psalm 73, you can look it up, it's very famous. 16 verses, this person is questioning, he's doubting, he's losing his faith. But then the plunges are arrested. He gains a foothold in verse 17. And what does it say in verse 17? Until I came to church. Until I came to the sanctuary of God. That's when everything made sense. And you can see the momentum change. I think what we're seeing here is this picture that faith has a lot to do with place. The psalmist in, verse, in chapter 73, in verse 17, realizes, he realizes that until I come to a place, an actual physical location, what is happening is I am healthier by simply being in a better place. Change my cage, right? Change my cage. But it's not just about the cage. It's also about the other rats inside of there. It is possible to change your cage, but still not be healthy. Because then you're in with another rat that's just as codependent as you are. Or there's this other rat that's got all these mama issues. Or you've got this rat that's just, he's like, hey man, you want to go over to the cocaine water? Let's go over there. And you're hanging out with all these rats. Whether you change the cage or not, the options are always going to be there if the cage is not healthy. I think that was Jesus' criticism. I think Jesus' criticism of the, of the great temple of Judaism is this cage is not healthy anymore. Change your cage. Get into the Jesus cage. Because it's the people inside the cage that matter. Stay in the center of the herd. If you find a healthy place, stay in the center. Don't burn out. Don't burn out. Rotate out. But rotate back in continually, continually. Rotate out, rotate back in. This, I think, is healthy church involvement. Rotate out, but don't stay on the outs. Come back in. So it's about the cage, making a change in our lives. We have to change our cage. We want to stay in the center of the herd. Stay in the center of the herd. This is, that's how I feel safest. Be involved. But the third and last application I think is very important. The third and last application, just hold that thought. I'd like to read John chapter 21. John 21 is a remarkable story. It's about Jesus after His resurrection. Lately, I've been reading a lot of the Gospels. Um, I've been introduced to a, a book uh, called The King Jesus Gospel by Scott McKnight. And uh, if, you, if, you, if you're into theological learning, I, I recommend it. And his argument is that the gospel, the gospel is quite simply Jesus in the gospels. The gospel story, the story of hope, the story of salvation. The gospel story is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it elevates the importance of reading the Jesus story. And the Jesus story in John chapter 21 has long fascinated me. It's something that is, it's, it's so good. It's so good you can't script this. Not only do I believe that this is historically what happened, but I believe it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's kismet. It's, it's, it's 
serendipitous. It's perfect. If you want to, if you want to end a book, this is the perfect way. It's, it's romantic. Because just before this, you have Peter denying Jesus. He denies Jesus, and then here you have Jesus resurrected from the dead and encountering Peter three times. He asks Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter's like, yeah, 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 I do love you. Second time, Peter, do you love me? Third time, by the third time he asks Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, I know what he's doing. I know exactly what is he, what is Jesus doing? Why does he ask three times in particular? How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. So not only is he poking at that soul wound, poking at that guilt in his soul, but I believe Jesus is giving him a chance to start all over again. Do you love me? He says, yeah, I screwed up, but yes, I do love you. Do you love me? Yes, do you love me? And then at the end, at the end of the story, he says those classic words, which I think is the gospel, follow me. The gospel is not a destination, it's a journey. It's not now I'm saved, now I'm in. The gospel is am I following Jesus and being conformed to his image? Am I becoming more of a christ in? Am I in my workplace, in my life, continually burning in my heart, following Jesus? What does my prayer life look like? Am I devoted? Now, there's another dimension to this story that I really want to hone in that I think is beautiful. Because three times when Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you, what does Jesus say after that? He says the first time in response, does he say, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Thank you. Oh, it's nice to be loved, isn't it? That's not what he says. He says, tend my lambs. The second time, he says, shepherd my sheep. The third time, he says, tend my sheep. And this is beautiful to me. Because you think about this. Think about this, that prior to this, Jesus tells Peter, Peter, upon you, you're going to be, you're going, Cephas, you're going to be Peter, you're the, 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 the rock Upon you will my church be built. He was the first pastor, the first church planter. And he couldn't keep his stuff together. That just like this, the first pastor of the church, just like that, do you know Jesus? No. Just like that, he had an opportunity. The first pastor of the church says, do you know Jesus? No, I don't know that man. Three times, do you know Jesus? No, get away from me. And Jesus is thinking to himself, oh, Peter, 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 how is the first pastor of the first church going to be a little bit more resilient? What are we going to do with Peter? What are we going to do with Peter that at the first sign of trouble, he's just going to kind of book it? What are we going to do about Peter in order to make him a disciple? What are we going to do with you to get you into a place where you're not running off anymore? What are we going to do with you to make you not just a Sunday churchgoer, but to become a disciple? What are we going to do to make you a disciple? Ah, I know what to do. Jesus has this brilliant idea, and he cooks up a pyramid scheme. This is what he decides to do. Peter, do you love me? Well, yeah, you know I love you. Tend my sheep. 
tend my lambs, feed them, care for other people. Okay, did you get that? Do you hear the solution there? The third application is to keep it, you have to give it away. To keep it, you have to give it away. In other words, what is going to make Peter a disciple? What is going to keep Peter in the game? Responsibility. Intensive work with others. Service. Caring for other people. Peter protests and he says, no, Jesus. No, 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 let alone other people. I need to think about you and me, God, you and me. You and me, this is what I want to talk about. I mean, I'm just off. It's you and me. Jesus says, no. You are going to find your spiritual health in the context of caring and serving other sheep. And in the context of serving and caring for other sheep, that is where you are going to find your soul in the center of the herd. That is where you are going to find your spiritual health. I want to close with this one last anecdote. Friends, we're talking about change, right? It's been three months and all I've eaten is vegetables and water. How are you going to stay in that kick? How are you going to stay in that place? To keep it, you have to give it away. You start to work with other people who are also trying to get healthier. And you say, listen, I've only got three months, but I think I can help you. I've only got this much time, but I think I can help you get better. Let's do it together. You know, there's this famous story. Famous story about a man who walks out of his door 20 years ago, he quit alcohol, for an example. He quit alcohol. He said, it's been 20 years since I've had my last drink, but man, oh man, it's Friday night. It was a terrible day. I'm so sick and tired of being so sick and tired. I just want to go right and walk down this way and walk over to Mickey's bar or something. And just, I just want to kind of just have a bender to end all benders. So he's about to make his way this way, but then he realizes, oh man, oh, I was supposed to... I was supposed to meet Paul tonight over at Dr. Bob's house down that way. I was supposed to swing a left. We have an appointment at 7 o'clock, and he wanted to just talk about some things. This is, oh, great. So instead of going to Mickey's bar, he says, okay, time. You know, and he walks over, and he doesn't drink that night. The next morning, Saturday, he goes through his day. Saturday night, at the same time, he walks out of his door, and he says, oh, man, Life just can't, can't seem to get worse. You know, it would be great right now, 20 years in one day. Why don't we just go make a right, walk over to Mickey's bar, and just kind of, let's just do this, right? But instead of doing that, he's like, oh, great. I forgot. And I was going to work with John over at Dr. Bob's house down that way. We had an appointment. He wanted to, I don't know, work on step six or something like that. So instead of going this way, he does intensive work with another person needing help. Intensive work with another person needing help. Sunday morning, same thing. Monday, the same thing. Tuesday, the same thing. 
And you know what's the secret? For 20 years, 20 years, every day he had that choice to walk out and to go over to Mickey's bar. But instead what he did was in working intensively with other people, he was able to avoid drinking one day at a time. One day at a time, 365 days times 20. And that's how it works. Listen, whatever your deal is, whether it's cheeseburgers or whether it's iPhone addiction, which is a a thing these days, whether it's whatever it is, the way you're going to find health is by intensive work with other people that understand. Intensive work with other people that understand. Are you struggling in your relationships? You need to be in relationship support groups. Are you struggling in your marriage? Don't struggle alone. Be in a support group where you are intensively giving because you're not going to get better unless you're giving it away. This is a fundamental principle. If it worked for Peter, it's going to work for us. There is no health in a vacuum. There is no health in a vacuum. In order to keep it, yes, I'm sorry, friends, it's a big pyramid scheme, but we have to give it away. Jesus knew that about the greatest pastor of the church, the first pastor of the church, That this man is only going to get healthier. This guy, Peter, the only way he's going to stay in the game is if I give him responsibility to work intensively with other young disciples to be. Unless you are not, unless you are working with other disciples, friends, we're not going to grow. To keep it, we have to give it away. And in doing so, we stay in the center of the herd. And sometimes, yes, that means we will need to change our cage, change our environment. Again, you can hear the layers to that, but that also applies to you individually. How are, how are you stuck? The patterns, the ruts, it might mean an actual physical change of environment. I invite you to close your eyes. I am convinced utterly that in order to keep it, I must give it away. And I think of faces that come to mind, people who I work with intensively. And my act of caring for them, intensive work with them, actually makes me healthier. But who do you have? Who do you have? Who in this congregation, in the weeks to come, Are you committed to working with? Who are you going to say, I'd like you to invest in my life. I'd like you to talk to me. I'd like you every night at 7 p.m. to come over to my house. (laughs) No, that's a little extreme. But it worked for this, it worked for this guy. (laughs) You know? Uh, It's either Mickey's bar or Dr. Bob's house. Who are you committed to today? And I want to invite you, as this as as, uh, as the music plays quietly in the background, to reflect on somebody here, somebody here, or maybe even somebody outside that you are going to make a relational commitment to. Hear the words of Jesus to Peter: "Tend my lambs, shepherd my sheep, tend my sheep. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me?" And you.
you got to tend. You need to shepherd. You need to care. messages we cannot change alone. For some of us, the need for change is very desperate. It's very urgent. It's very immediate. For some of us, we don't even perceive a need for change. Lord, meet us where we are. Speak to us now, I pray. Don't make, we're not satisfied just being Sunday churchgoers. We want to be made disciples new season ahead, Lord, make us more than ever followers of the way, followers of the King Jesus gospel. More than ever, we pray, show us the allies, show us the people on the path, on the journey that we need to walk alongside with or that we need to invite into the journey. A couple of faces have come to our minds now, Lord. We pray, give us the courage to approach these people whether it is for accountability, whether it is for support, whether it is for mentoring and discipleship or whatnot, we pray, Lord, help us to follow through now. Seal a commitment and help us to follow through, we pray. In Jesus' name.